about that. Matthew chapter 20. Let's quiet our hearts before God's word and read verses 1 through 16. Another parable of Jesus in our series, The Storyteller, looking at these parables. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labors for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to grant us insight into your word. Lord, that we might see the wonders of your grace and be able to, to celebrate your generosity and kindness to us. Lord, we pray that not only would we be able to understand these words with our mind, but Lord, that you would allow us to see them with the eyes of our heart and taste them, the goodness of your promises and our ability to trust ourselves to your grace. Lord, give us fresh understanding of what it means for us to walk in a kingdom of grace, that you might be exalted in our lives, that we might draw near to you with greater confidence. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, human beings are naturally scorekeepers, aren't they? I noticed something a long time ago. If you talk to a kid and you tell them, hey, good news, I'm going to give you 10 M&Ms if you go put the toys away in your room. They likely will be happy to do it and be glad to get the M&Ms at the end. But let that child see their sibling get 11 M&Ms and you got a problem. Somehow by adding that 11th M&M, you've got a mutiny on your hands. We're always keeping score. It may seem like a harmless problem for kids, but ultimately we bring our scorekeeping into adulthood. 
It's part of who we are, and we bring it into our understanding of our relationship with God. We're, we're constantly looking around and comparing and keeping score about how He's treating us in our situation or what's happening for us and the opportunities that we have, and we see other people, and we're, we're scorekeepers. We're scorekeepers as it relates to God. We operate so much on a scorekeeping mentality that Jesus tells a story to his disciples to show them that their understanding of the operation of his kingdom is entirely off because of it. That they have actually confused themselves with their scorekeeping and failed to understand that grace is the key to understanding the operation of Jesus and his kingdom. And to be honest, when we read the story at first glance, it's pretty jarring. We can only imagine how much more jarring it might have been to the people who were receiving their wages. Now the reason is, is they failed to see these disciples. Jesus teaches them this story and gives them this parable because they've failed to see that God's kingdom is an operation of grace and they've, re they've reverted to an insistence that they can measure out the lines of God's justice and fairness based on their own wisdom and perceptions. And it's not just a problem for the disciples that Jesus is speaking to. It's a challenge that we face. We're convinced that we have the ability by our own wisdom and perception to determine whether God is fair or just in a whole host of situations. When we do that, we're actually insisting that God and his kingdom operate by our own perception of justice, our own perception of fairness, rather than God's invitation to step into his kingdom as an invitation of grace and undeserved favor. Really, this morning, we're talking about grace. This parable is a parable about grace. It's about God's ability to give to his people in a generous manner beyond what they deserve. That's the heart of this parable. That's the way the parable ends with the question, am I not allowed to be generous the way that I want to? Well, the truth is, is it was when we have our feet firmly on the ground of a kingdom of grace and we realize that we've been brought into God's kingdom as an act of his undeserved favor, we're not concerned with the way that God blesses those around us. We're just happy to be there. That word grace means simply undeserved favor. Unmerited blessing from God. And Jesus says, it is up to God to distribute blessing that is undeserved. So the main idea of our, our parable and of our sermon this morning is that the kingdom of God, if we're going to understand it and walk confidently in it, is an operation of grace that exceeds justice. The problem isn't that in this parable that an injustice has been done. It's that God has exceeded, the, the master has exceeded justice with generosity and is demonstrating the way his kingdom operates. Well, since God's kingdom is an operation of grace that exceeds justice, it is true that grace invites us then to trust God's favor rather than busy ourselves with keeping score. The invitation to walk in God's kingdom is to entrust ourselves to the favor of God and his kindness rather than to busy ourselves as a people who are constantly keeping score.
about what we believe we deserve, about what we ought to get in a given situation, about how we compare ourselves to others. Let me show you this a little bit with the context of the parable. The context of this parable, if you were to go back and look at uh, Matthew chapter 19, this parable is an answer to a conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler and with his disciples. There's a conversation going on, and this this parable is the answer to the question as, as Jesus is talking to Peter about rewards and blessing for those who walk in his kingdom. The very first word in the chapter, the the parable says, for, well, it starts chapter 20 as a way of saying, hey, I'm not done with the conversation. Sometimes we read our Bibles, we run into the chapter breakups, which aren't original to the text, and we think we're on a new subject or a new section, but the truth is they just help us find things. But here we realize it's continuing the conversation from chapter 19. This is what's going on. The rich young ruler, if you were to see that conversation has just walked away from a conversation with Jesus where Jesus challenged him about his love for his money, his confidence in his own wealth. And he challenged him to trade in his wealth for an opportunity to walk day by day with Jesus as one of his disciples. And it says that the rich young ruler turned him down and walked away and that Jesus was saddened by it because he saw how much this wealth had a grip on his life in a sense the score was in his favor (laughs) for what he could give to him and so he didn't really consider himself in need of God's favor so the rich young ruler walks away and Peter has a question as he sees this happen and it's a question many of us come to God with he says Jesus we've given up everything to follow you Well, how's that going to go for us? What will we get? That's Peter's question. Kind of valid, right? I mean, you see this happening. He's like, hey, well, this is great. You told him to leave that off. Like, how is this going to work out for us? And, And interestingly, Jesus doesn't fault Peter for the question. In fact, he answers him and affirms that God will, in fact, be generous to those who have forfeited much in this life, to live it in a way that honors him. That there is an expectation that God's generosity eventually pays off. Now, he doesn't necessarily say whether that's... He he mainly places the confidence of that in our future eternal inheritance where God will spend an eternity showing us that the riches of his grace are far better than what we can give ourselves. But he also says some of that's going to overflow in this life too you're going to see the kindness and the riches of God's grace. But but when he gets to the end of the conversation, Jesus reminds us of something. And it's sort of like this. It's it's before we start getting out our spiritual scorecards then and look at our life and setting up an accounting system for our future confidence of God's blessing, he's in a sense says to Peter, Peter, that's dangerous. (laughs) That's a dangerous place for you to be, keeping score. And it'll never work because God doesn't operate according to our human perceptions of fairness and reward. The kingdom of God is about trusting the grace of God until we're overwhelmed by the riches of God. I'm going to say that again. The kingdom of God is an invitation To trust the grace of God until we're overwhelmed by the riches of God. 
That day is coming. And until then, we trust the operation of his good favor in our life that we know and we see is undeserved. And he ends by saying, just so that you know that you can't see as clearly as you think, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Many of the things that you think have been successful and those who you think deserve the greatest sense of God's blessing will be found to have not really deserved all that much. And those who were overlooked and not seen, many of them will enjoy the riches of God's kindness over their life for their faithfulness. But Jesus says, you can't keep score. You don't have the ability to do that. And you're going to have to trust the generosity of God's heart. The sureness of his promise. You see, faith What we're called to live by, faith, relies on the fact that God is more generous to the first and the last than they deserve to begin with. So Peter, he says, don't bargain with God, trust him. Life in the kingdom of God is a gift of grace from beginning to end. So here we have the main point that Jesus is trying to make, and we've not even really looked at the details of the parable as we set up the conversation. But understand that this is the truth that Jesus is putting then into story for us. He's saying, do not bargain for God's justice or spend your time keeping score, but trust in God's grace, his undeserved favor. You see, bargaining for God's justice rather than trusting his grace will cause us to fail to really understand the operation of God's kingdom in our life. It will cause us not to have the kind of wisdom we need to walk in harmony with what God is doing in his will. When we're busy bargaining and keeping score with God, we will fail to be able to see the riches of his grace and his kindness over our life. Because grace is the key to understanding the kingdom of God. You understanding that if you're going to have a relationship with God, if you're going to be welcomed into his family, if you are going to walk in the promises in eternity, you're only going to Be there by grace. Undeserved favor. That's how we get in. Faith because of God's grace. And so grace is the key to understanding the kingdom of God. And let me show you how we see it then in the details of the parable. The first thing we see is that grace is the key to understanding of the the kingdom of God because the invitation is actually of grace and nothing else in the parable. It's a a gracious invitation to serve in the field. Grace understands that God brought us in when we had nowhere else to go. The image Jesus chooses to uh, use here comes from the experience of day laborers at the time of Christ. During harvest time, the owner of the land would have just a certain amount of time to get the crops in before losing them. It was a pressed and important time. There was an intensity to it, and it was an opportunity for workers to make money. But the emphasis, if you were to look closely in the first seven verses, is not on the worker's length of work, but the pursuit of the master to get his workers. 
The biggest concern in the first seven verses isn't so much just saying this worker worked this amount of time, this worker worked that amount of time, but in the context of the the time, the master has a certain amount of time to really bring in the harvest, and so he is going out all throughout the day to try to increase the number of laborers that would be involved in the field so that he can guarantee to get the harvest complete before time has passed, before it's too late, before it's ruined. He is the owner of the land, and he's out getting what he desires for his labor force. It's important to notice that he's not required to hire any of the workers. There's no no expectation that he would do it. He is going out and finding people who it would be to their advantage that they would actually have the opportunity to go and work in the field and be paid. It's also important to notice that the workers, uh, these workers are a particular group of people that seem to have no other options for the day. Things had happened in their life. There were reasons that people ended up as day laborers in those situations. And he agrees to pay the first group that he hires, as we see, one denarius or a day's fair wage. So during that time, a denarius, you know, it's economics. It's hard to like put, you know, say it's this amount of money. But it was a fair and reasonable day's pay. So he's not ripping off anybody in the marketplace. He's offering them to receive a day's pay. And he's giving them this opportunity to come and work for it. In verse 3, we see that he goes on. And he comes to another group, it says, at the third hour. Now, the, the way that time was measured in the ancient world, and particularly in Israel, was the beginning of the day was essentially 6 a.m. The third hour would have been roughly 9 a.m. And so they're into the work day for day laborers, three hours in, it says, and he goes out and sees there's some idle working in the, or waiting in the marketplace. They don't have a place to work. He finds them and sends them into the work. He still needs more. And he continues to come back and seek others. It says at the sixth hour, in the ninth hour, and and he literally agrees with them, it says, just for, I will pay you what you deserve. Essentially, he's just like, I'm going to make it good for you, but I need you to go work, and I'm going to make sure that you are paid for your work. There's sort of an emphasis, like he's going to compensate them appropriately. And so he does it at the sixth and the ninth hour. Lastly, he finds a group of people at the eleventh hour. And as Jesus tells the story, he asks them why they've not done anything all day. And I want you to notice their answer to the question is because nobody would hire. Nobody, we didn't have any opportunities. And so he says, well, listen. And this is the group he wants us to think about, okay? He's like, come on in. <laughs> I've got one, there's like an hour left, but if you go to the field, I'm going to take care of you. And that group of people goes and they finish the work. And all of this, we see that every laborer in the vineyard has found their way in by the invitation of the master with the offer of an opportunity for a fair wage. That they'll be taken care of. Well, interestingly... As the story goes, when the time for pay comes and the earliest workers are uh, um, upset, they're going to forget this. They woke up that morning not knowing. The earliest workers woke up that morning not knowing what they would do and they were invited by the master of this field to work, to be paid. In all of this, we see that every labor in the vineyard has gotten there by the master's invitation. You see... 
That is what the kingdom of God is like. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, it's not because of your special skill or your wisdom or because you woke up early <laughs> or you got there at the earliest part of God's kingdom and, and earliest in your life you began serving the Lord. If you're a Christian here today, uh, you are here as a Christian only by God's grace. If you're a Christian here today, you were pursued by God. You were pursued by God and invited to take a step into his kingdom. Invited to come into his kingdom where he is gracious and good to those who serve him. And the Lord sought you out. He sought you out in the marketplace of your life where you didn't have ideas about how to fulfill your purpose. And God brought you into his purpose. God, in his kindness, pursued you and invited you to walk with him in his labor and in his work. You didn't earn your way to in, into his circle through your goodness or skill. You didn't get his, his uh, attention by your piety or your purity or how morally upstanding you are. The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. The gospel doesn't work that way. From the very beginning, it's an invitation at the grace of God to leave, leave off from the idle life in the market square of this world and to be a laborer in his fruitful vineyard. All by his favor and kindness. And so we see that the invitation is an invitation of God's invitation and kindness into his kingdom. The second thing that we see really here is that the payment that is made, the payment is no less than just. There's not anybody who receives less than they deserve. It's no less than just, but it's a massive display of God's grace, of his undeserved favor. You see, when we understand grace, Jesus shows us through this, grace keeps us from unjust complaining and comparison. You know, one of the things that happens, if you struggle with comparison in your life, it means that in some manner you haven't yet comprehended the grace of God towards you. You maybe didn't see yourself as a sinner who had disqualified himself from a relationship with God or someone whose sin would have dragged them into greater destruction if God hadn't intervened and set you on a path to life to walk with Jesus and being, be instructed by his word. But, but here we see that if you do understand grace, grace keeps us from unjust complaining in comparison because the complaints in this passage are false accusations against God of injustice. They're false accusations of God about injustice. Now God has a concern for justice. He's got a concern for justice being displayed in the world. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as Christians, we should have concern for matters of justice. But here, what we're really seeing is this is about our own perceptions of justice versus what God has promised and completed. Here, we see that God is displayed as the master who always cares in a just way for his people in his kingdom, but often and always goes beyond that by pouring out on them the riches of his grace. And so we see that the payment that is made is no less than, than just, and it's a display of grace. So if the first problem that we had is that it fails to recognize that life in God's kingdom is an invitation of grace, 
The second problem of bargaining with God and keeping score is that it leads us to compare and complain when we've not been wronged. You know, so often, I think when we look at our lives, we're, we're, we compare and we complain against God. We grumble against God, murmur against our circumstances when God has done nothing wrong. <laughs> we think we have the ability to bring God up before us as though we are his judge and not he ours. Imagine with me for a second. You show up to the office Christmas party next year. You find yourself at the table with a mix of fellow employees. Some of them have worked for a few years, like you, maybe. And there are some that began in June. And also at the table, the newest employee in the company who began the 1st of December. As you're getting ready to leave, the owner of the company you know, begins to distribute an unexpected Christmas bonus. Everybody in the office is getting a Christmas bonus this year. And all God's people said, <laughs> everybody loves a Christmas bonus, right? Everyone gets one of these Christmas bonuses who's been working at the company, even the person who's worked for one month. One month, and they get a Christmas bonus. Ask yourself, have you, as someone who's worked there for a long time, been wronged or treated unfairly because the one-month employee got a Christmas bonus? And the answer is no. Nothing that you rightfully can demand or expect has been kept from you. And the owner of the company is free to give a gift to anyone that he likes. He's not free to give you less than your wage, but there is nothing unfair about generosity. And we have to come to the point in our life where we realize that we are so mixed up about this that when we see generosity, we immediately say, that's not fair. We see other people thriving and we think somehow we're getting less than we deserve. And next thing you know, we're blaming God. Here's a major point being made by the parable. The complaint that is made in verse 11 and 12 claims an injustice when God has in fact acted justly. Bargaining for justice with God often leads to all sorts of distortions based in a strange legalism that makes us the judge and God the one that deserves to be on trial. We are never, listen, brothers and sisters, listen, we are never in the right position in the relationship when we are the judge and God is on trial. If you find yourself often there, you, you are going to need to turn those seats around and recognize that you do not have the wisdom to call God into court. And more than likely, you're ignoring the abundance of His grace in your life. We hear it all the time and we're tempted to say and think and believe it. God owes me this or God owes me that. Or we think, you know, it doesn't show up in our life often until we hit a really major trial. <laughs> or we don't get something we we're really counting on. We may, not, we may not verbalize it even out loud. Deep down, I deserve better than that. I deserve better than that. I'm working harder than anybody else out here. Things ought to be lining up better for me. Let me assure you that you do not want a bargaining relationship with God. You don't want a scorekeeping relationship with God. You don't even want a relationship with God 
that is primarily based on justice. Because the Bible has clearly said that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that He's bestowed on our life. That, that our sins have, have caused us to fail to even measure up or stand before the Lord in a way that's honorable. That we're all in need of the mercy and forgiveness and kindness of God so that we could have confidence that we're welcome to be in His presence. And it's all at His invitation and because of His grace. That we can even find ourselves... Listen, you don't want a bargaining relationship with God when a gracious one is offered. <laughs> well, practically then, let's just think, this, what, what does this sort of keeping score do to us? Well, I think there's three things that it does uh, as, uh, by way of application. This sort of keeping score, what we see even in the, in the passage, is that keeping score will lead to overvaluing your own efforts. One of the things that happens is uh, when we are busy keeping score, bargaining with God, and failing to recognize the importance of grace as the key to understanding God's kingdom, when we're busy keeping score, it leads to overvaluing our own efforts. Have you ever talked to God the way that these workers talk to the master? And you can talk back to me and you can say, yes, I did. All right, let me just invite you to do that. Like, is he serious? If you want to. No, but have you ever talked to God the way these workers did? I've been faithful for a long time, God. I deserve more. I've endured some really difficult things to be faithful to you. I need this to work out, this situation. When we start bargaining for justice, we always find a way to make our efforts sound really heroic, don't we? This is what happens in the parable. Master, we have borne the heat of the day. It's harvest time. Come on, it's like pumpkin spice. It's fall. We've borne the heat of the day, Master. We deserve more than these others. You know, it's like a heroic performance. Now, I don't doubt the heat of the day was difficult, but let's just be honest. A hard day's work is hardly heroic. It's likely in your own accounting, you will always overpay yourself. Have you ever noticed that? When you assess your work and your contribution, you see it in, in heroic terms, and you believe you deserve more, and we naturally believe that our contribution is so much more valuable than this other very average person. You see, that's what happens with keeping score. We tend to immediately begin to overvalue our contribution in comparison to others. Here's another thing that happens. The flip side of that, keeping score will lead to undervaluing the contribution of others. Keeping score leads to undervaluing what other people contribute, what other people experience, how other people are doing. Have you ever been working on a job for a long period of time and it looked like you were not going to finish it in time? Anybody had that experience? You're like coming up on a really important deadline. Well, that's in a sense what is happening in this story with the master. I can remember a time when I felt that way several years ago. Uh, you know, we just made this big move, obviously, to Potomac Shores Middle. But if I rewind, we've made a lot of moves in the history of the church. And uh, uh, we used to meet in a brown building beside McDonald's on 234, right there before between 95 and Route 1. Raise your hand if you're from that era. 
And we got some people still in the house. All right. Uh, it, was, it was glorious. You know, tire shop on one end, church on the other. And uh, it was just really interesting times. Um, we were on a 30-day lease that revolved. And so we were always one month away from like a heart attack. And so that's how I felt all the time. Whenever the owner of the building would walk in, I was like, oh, Lord, please don't let it be this month. I don't think we can get out of here in a month. And, uh, and so, but eventually the time came and it was like that. And it was in the middle of the summer and our last day was the same week of sports camp. Now, if you know anything about summer sports camp around here, it's, an, it's a whole church effort just to get that done. But now we needed to move out of that building the same week and be out by Friday. And so, uh, you know, we worked hard and, and um, you know, I got together people and lots of people in the church kind of banded together and, uh, you know, t a couple days of, of working at it, getting things out of there, putting it in storage, trying to figure out how we were going to be uh, able to transition, I think at that point, to Swans Creek. You know, we ended up moving to Swans Creek at that time, uh, the elementary school we met in before meeting here. And the move out just happened to be, as I said, in the middle of sports camp week. And on that Friday, it was clear we were not making it out by the deadline, at least in my mind. And uh, we put a lot of effort into it. Well, most of you know Pastor Clint. Uh, he's got a day job with plenty of responsibilities of his own. And I'd been working and working with a bunch of people in the church to try and get us out of the building, you know, during the workday and different times and into storage before the deadline. Uh, and, and, and I was headed to sports camp that Friday with no idea how we were going to finish it afterwards. Convinced that, you know, all of our trailers are full of stuff. Every truck we had is packed, it, packed up. And uh, I, I remember just mentioning to Clint, like, this, is, this doesn't look good. And, uh, it, you know, he's working. I don't know what else he had going on that day. But I just was like, uh, I'm headed to sports camp. There's a lot of stuff in the building and nowhere to put it. And going to sports camp. I quite honestly wasn't sure how it would work out. And I wasn't really calling to ask him for help, per se. Um, uh, when I came back to the building, Clint and this other member, Rob, had shown up with a truck and a trailer and out of nowhere, um, and we were well on our way to finishing everything off when we got back. Now, I didn't say to them, it sure would have been nice if you just showed up at the beginning of this. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't have been right. Even if I thought it, I probably wouldn't have said it out loud. Now, that's not the response in a moment like that. There's a task at hand. There's a work to be done. And we weren't getting it done unless they showed up. You guys saved us. <laughs> you finished what we could have never finished on our own. Their country, we couldn't have finished this without you. You see, that's what it looks like when, we, when we're not busy comparing ourselves. We don't, we don't overvalue our contribution, and we don't undervalue the contribution that others come and make in their timing, in their way, by God's assignment. And so grace creates this operation among God's people where we're not busy comparing ourselves to one another, and we rejoice when we get to link arms and serve in God's kingdom, support one another, go through the valleys, stand on the mountaintops, rejoice as we go through all of those things, and keeping score will lead you to undervaluing the contribution of others to God's kingdom. Third thing, keeping score will blind us to the beauty of God's grace toward others. Here's something that's important for all of us to know. God never has to rob a blessing from you to be generous to others. God never has to rob a blessing from you to be generous to others. 
stories of God's grace in people's lives will encourage and remind the person who understands the undeserved favor that is the basis of God's kingdom. It's one of the ways that you can know whether you sort of are rooted in grace, whether your feet are standing firmly in just thanksgiving of God's kindness of giving Christ on your behalf and inviting you not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of his love for you into his kingdom by faith. Here's how you can know if you're rooted in that. When he just blesses other people immensely, when he does something that shows his riches and kindness to someone that probably utterly doesn't deserve it, you celebrate. You're reminded of the gracious God that has been gracious to you. You don't complain and wish it was you. See, that's how we know we're walking on the the soil of God's grace in our own lives is that we can see the beauty of grace displayed, the riches of God poured out in someone else, and we will rejoice. It will only fuel us with more thanksgiving and worship for how kind God has been to us. You see, that is what grace means. It means unmerited favor, and those who understand Jesus' teaching will will see every example of grace to others as a reminder of God's goodness to them. When you hear the story of God's grace in someone's life, you go... That's the God that saved me. Oh, I know what it tastes like to think you don't deserve the kindness of God and for Him to show up and to hear the words of His good news that say, you are welcome home. To hear the words of the good news that say, you are forgiven. You're loved. Just return to me. You know the sweetness of that, and you hear it in every story of grace in another person's life. Every example of grace to others becomes a reminder of God's goodness to you. Let's be clear. This is not a parable parable about the reward system of God. It's a lesson about God's freedom to show grace to the last and to the least in the same measure that has been received by those who consider themselves the first. And because of this, there's an important lesson that this parable teaches and reveals. God is less concerned with where and when you started in faith and more concerned that you trust Him at the finish. For some of us, our bargaining for justice is evidence that you came in the wrong door to the kingdom and will likely leave it before the work is done. Unless you discover grace. Do you know why we find the reversal of this parable so offensive? I mean, maybe you didn't, but Jesus tells it to be offensive. And it, and it offends some of our sense of fairness. But do you know why that is? Well, it's because we imagine ourselves as the wrong character. We think so highly of ourselves that we consider ourselves the full day's workers who really are owed more rather than seeing ourselves as those who are blessed to receive God's undeserved favor after showing up late to the party. You see, we've got ourselves in the wrong place in the story. The gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that he is the only one that's been faithful from beginning to end. The truth is, none of us have been the faithful worker in the vineyard for the full day in the heat. 
In the true story of God's kingdom, the master himself took on flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus alone has worked the full day. He did not just bear the heat of the day. He was faithful to the end and then bore the cross of our failed service to God. Jesus not only completed the labor of his own work, but covered for the losses of our failed service to God. When he finished the work that his father had given him, he did not receive the reward of his labor, but he sacrificed himself in our place so that us, so that we could be reconciled to God, though we were the ones who showed up last. You see, we were created to love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and strength. We were created to serve God in the garden of our lives. The lives that he had given us to tend. And we left our vineyard for our own pursuits. And then things went off the rails. And when the sinful pursuits of our lives yielded no fruit or way to make a livelihood, we were helpless in the marketplace of the world and without any way to care for ourselves in the most needed areas of our lives. But God, but God graciously called us into his household through the kindness of his son by grace and he gave us life and hope and a god that gracious can be trusted not simply to give us what we think we deserve but to care for us even when we are undeserving you see we do not need justice we need grace here's the amazing truth the only person who could really say to god that's not just would be jesus The great injustice is that we are paid not a day's wage, but better. We're not given an inheritance because of our performance, but because of his. And by faith today, when we hear this good news and no longer come to God offering ourselves and saying, Lord, I've done enough to be received, but we wholly lean by faith on Jesus' completed work for us. We don't have the promise of a day's wage. We have the promise of a child's inheritance in the master's field. So much better. If justice had had its way, we would get our wages and Jesus would get his. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. Judgment. But, but listen, the message of the gospel, and if you've never understood this, the whole central message of Christianity is that the grace of God has prevailed and Christ paid the wages that we deserve for our sin on the cross. And he invites us into his riches on the basis of his kindness and undeserved favor. Are your feet Standing firmly on that ground. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. In a moment, we're going to sing together. And as they're coming up to to lead us in this last song, I just want you to bow your heads with me as we prepare to pray. And while you do that, I want you just to take a moment and reflect on what you've heard. Maybe you're here today and you've never understood the kindness that has been offered to you through Christ. And today Jesus is saying, 
and inviting you to leave off from that place in your life where you believe that you merit God's kindness and now realize that God offers it freely on the basis of Jesus. See, the gospel, the hope, the, the beginning of a relationship with Christ is recognizing that as sinners, we don't deserve God's kindness, but because of the rich love of God, he put forth Jesus on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought into a relationship of kindness with God. Maybe you've never come to a place where you said, God, I, I want that, where you've turned from your sin and by faith trusted in that, left off of trusting in your own works. But you could do that right where you're at. Today, you could respond hearing these words and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short and, and today I want to stop arguing for your justice and I want to receive your grace. Today, I want to put my faith in Jesus' work on my behalf and entrust myself to you. Come into my life and, and, and fill it with your presence and your Holy Spirit. Save me, rescue me, make me new. That I can walk in your kingdom by grace. You know, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Coley, I, I want that relationship. I've never really put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to begin anew with God. I'm not going to ask you to come down, but I'd like to get a pray for you as we close this time. And I wonder if you would say, if you, if you prayed that prayer with me, if you have that desire, if you just slip up your hand where you're at and say, would you pray for me? I want to begin a relationship with God. is the day where I want to turn from my sin and demanding, trusting, and resting in His grace. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your kindness to us. God, I pray that you would help us to learn to rest our lives in your grace, to see, Lord, what you see have greater confidence in your generous heart toward us displayed in Jesus, less confidence in ourselves, that you might be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment,